The Cyclone Fanatic Podcast is fueled by Cody Rhodes and recorded in the Wild Rose Casino and Hotel Studio. What is going on? Welcome to our Liberty Bowl preview show here on Cyclone Fanatic, Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. Many of you probably choosing to watch this on our YouTube feed. If you haven't done that yet, I would highly suggest subscribing to it. We're doing a lot more on YouTube compared to the old days and looking forward to growing there. Coming up in the show, Brent Bloom is going to join me. We'll take a deep dive into Memphis, this matchup, what we think will happen with the Cyclones of Memphis and the Liberty Bowl. In the first segment, Jeff Woody is going to hop in. I want to talk about bowl prep, specifically with the young football team. What have you know, the last couple of weeks looked like for Iowa State. It's been a very good month of December as far as not having guys leave. Uh, there's a lot of positive stuff, so Jeff Woody is going to join me to talk about that. Of course, we couldn't do all of our postseason coverage without our great sponsors, Fairway Meat and Grocery, Carl Auto Group, Wild Rose Casinos in Jefferson, Emmitsburg, and also our friends in Clinton. And we also have a new sponsor, here on Cyclone Fanatic, and it is Keen Project Solutions, uh, pioneering the future of industrial agriculture engineers and project managers. If you're out there, our friends at Keen Project Solutions are hiring. They give you a team where your passion for ag drives innovative engineering and construction. Their website is Think Different, Think Keen. Dot com. That is thinkdifferentthinkkeen.com, K-E-E-N. And we're going to be telling you more and more about them over the next month or so here on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. All right, uh, let's get to Jeff Woody. We'll bring him on and uh, start to break down this Liberty Bowl matchup between Iowa State and Memphis right after this here on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. <laughs> Frank, Frank, when you think fairway, you think fresh. Is that the winning culture you've tried to create? Penelope Pineapple, what an unbelievable produce performance. How does your team stay so fresh? Sunkissed Orange, is it true fairway has offered the freshest produce in town since 1938? What can we say? Our produce is so fresh, we're speechless. Liberty Bowl preview show here on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. Of course, we are streaming as well everywhere. YouTube, I believe we're on Instagram now. Twitter Ooh. and Facebook. Yeah. This yeah. It's a come up, man. We're on this the Instagram fancy. now. I got Jeff Woody with me here in segment number one. Going to focus a lot on Iowa State here in this specific segment. We'll get more into Memphis and um, what that matchup entails in coming segments. First of all, Jeff, you never played in Memphis. Were you on that? Yeah, I did. You, you did. You yep. were on that team. The first, the first Liberty Bowl. Liberty that Bowl round was one. the crazy Steel Jans, Jared Barnett, 
Jerome Tiller, Sam Richardson. Sa- Tiller oh. Tiller was gone by then, but Tiller it was, was Sammy Rich and Barnett and Steele. That was we had three quarterbacks playing that game. I'm pretty sure and weren't weren't there like illnesses? And Sam Sam was sick. Yeah, uh, and I don't remember there was somebody else that was ill, but like that that was, and it was also like 40 and rainy that day. So like it, it, it was the, brutal. The game day itself, and we lost. So like the game day itself was not super enjoyable. Correct me if I'm wrong. That was to Tulsa. Didn't Iowa State play Tulsa earlier that year? I don't remember. I don't think it was that year. I think they played the next year. Okay. There there was some crossover with Tulsa. Yeah, we had played. It was either that year or the next year. And we actually talked about that on Fart, uh, which I think last week. And uh, my stat line on that game was six carries for 12 yards and three touchdowns. It's the most Jeff Woody. That is. Workman-like. Perfect. Perfect. We got the ball. I think it was the third time, like, we got the ball on, like, the one or two yard line. And uh, the old bulldozer <laughs> they threw me back in and it was sort of like, I know what's going to happen here. Like, th- come on, guys, just can I just ma- make this easy? So ended up, yeah, six, six carries, 12 yards, three touchdowns. So I wanted to talk to you in this bowl special about best work. recipes for ribs. <laughs> well, dry and spicy. Yeah, that's that's uh, the Memphis way. Yeah, yeah. that's Kansas City, Kansas City and Texas barbecue saucier. Uh, Memphis is dry. The dry rub. I'll I will go to war that Memphis has the best barbecue. See, I'm a Kansas City guy, but I I can appreciate the meat is better in Memphis. But like I'm a I'm a big sauce guy. I hate the sauce. Big oh, sauce guy. Hate is a strong word, but I I prefer it dry. Regardless, I so I am very on the record that I think most of these bulls are just like it. It's fun. I like watching them. I will watch them, but it doesn't matter like it used to within these programs because of the portal and because the players are kind of onto it, right? Like these guys, it doesn't mean as much to them. So they all sit out and we generally don't know a lot about teams going into these bowl games. However, that's not the case for Iowa state this year. I'll make the argument that it's an incredibly big game for the Cyclones with the amount of guys coming back, what 20 starters coming back to next year's team think all of those guys will play in the bowl game. We'll wait and see on TJ Tampa. I would guess he's probably going to sit out of this one. Again, as he should. As we talk again, we talked about that in fart last week. I hope he sits out. We don't need to go any further in that, but makes sense. Yeah. Makes total sense for him. He needs a big combine. He could potentially be a first or second round mm-hmm. draft pick in the NFL draft. I, I guess having been through these bowl practices though, at to me, it has always been a thing where I kind of roll my eyes a little bit with it because I always felt like coaches probably overplayed it a little bit, but not with this team, Jeff. There's so many freshmen and sophomores that need more reps. I don't know. Like, I think this is a really important three-week stretch for Iowa State. Well, I think there's there's two reasons why bulls are really important, and specifically now and specifically for this team, which is... You know, when uh, like childhood delinquencies and like kids will get arrested or, or get in trouble or whatever, and that goes, that number goes down if they're in a sport or in an after school activity. It's because you're keeping, you're making a kid productive at a time when mm. they could otherwise be destructive. Well, that's the transfer portal right now, where if you're a team that's in a bowl game and there's a guy who's like, there are people, you know, like a, a guy like Dylan Gabriel on the high side of going to chase some money. And a guy like uh, Cartavius Norton on the on the other side of it, which appropriately like Norton landing, uh, I, I don't didn't see, I, I forget the exact school he landed at, but like Charlotte, Charlotte being the dude at Charlotte is better than being even at his best. He is getting ten carries a game, splitting with Sama like at his best. So you could be the guy at a school, or you could be a guy at this one. 
those two instances, those guys are for sure going to transfer. But there's a whole lot of guys that are sort of like in this gray area in the middle who could be lured away by some offer or some one of his high school teammates is now transferring from this school to that school and he might go to this school. Well, if you're at bowl practice, much less of those temptations exist. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. you're going to be much more productive and you're going to reduce the amount of guys potentially that could be looking elsewhere, which then brings a whole lot of like culture problems and whatever. So being in a bowl game now reduces the amount of the fringe guys from transferring. Again, there will be the Gabriels, there will be the Nortons, we're going to transfer regardless. But that's part number one. And part number two is sort of with this team specifically, there's a billion freshmen and a billion sophomores and a billion red shirts. Guys that are red shirting right now who haven't really been able to play in any meaningful snaps because, you know, you get one, it's four total games. Let's say they've played in two, you know, and he's a secondary guy who sort of rotated in in the UNI game and then again in, you know, XYZ game later in the year, hasn't really had a lot of chance to shine. Well, they're going to be taking guys that are starters because uh, Jeremiah Cooper, good player. Mm -hmm. You ain't going to get much better between the Kansas State game and Memphis. You, Cooper, let's just make sure you don't turn an ankle or pull a hamstring or do anything like that in practice. So we're going to keep our guys that we know really don't have a lot of improvement towards the end of the year or are banged up or both. We're going to take those guys and your starters pretty much aren't going to participate, excuse me, participate in your live practices. What that means is that all the rest of the guys, those threes, those fours, those red shirts, those walk-ons, they start getting reps in practice. A guy like J.J. Cole. A guy like J.J. Cole gets a ton of reps. A guy, you know, guys that that fill in the blank that are safeties or backup linebackers or like Carson Willick. Like Carson Willick's played in a lot of games, but he's like been a sort of a spot player because Will McDonald or Will McLaughlin, excuse me, has been so good at that outside linebacker position. Well, now... Carson Willick is going to be the guy he's taking. He's probably going to take most of the number one reps against the bet, either the ones or twos on the other offense. He then gets to see what it's like to be on the field for 12 straight plays in a practice. The coaches get to see what he does when he gets tired, where his tendencies are. You can learn so much from the guys that are barely, you know, walk on guys that are trying to make a name for themselves and get on special teams come spring ball. But there's also the guys like Carson Willick that are, are really good players that get a chance to be the guy because the other people are off the, uh, the the starters are getting less reps. That's what I was I was curious about because I mean let's compare this to the Cheez It Bowl year Iowa State's last with bowl a zillion game. seniors. Yeah, like that bowl prep feels different in the sense that I mean I can't imagine Brock Purdy was really doing anything during prep for that other than you know walking and walking through some stuff taking mental guy. reps. Yeah, yeah. Uh, here with when you have this many true freshmen playing. Do you still sit the starters out in the reps like you do in the cheese bowl one? Or or do these guys play more and more because they're so young? It depends on who they are and how they've been doing. You know, like if it's uh let's take a freshman, like uh Sama. Abu is probably gonna take a good number of reps because he was his total rep count throughout the year isn't really that high. He that dude needs reps. Carson yeah. Hansen and, and Sama are I bet are taking the lion's share of the reps. And then uh, the Harris kid is going to be probably with the twos. So it's Harris and then, you know, somebody else might be with the twos. So, Hanson's a good one that so can like, really benefit from this. Yeah, yeah. Hanson and Sama are going to be taking the major, the lion's share of the reps at running back because they're both freshmen. They played a lot, mm-hmm. but they they both just, they don't have a lot of rep tally. Then you flip that over against a guy who's a, I don't know, who's name a, a freshman. Like, let's take, let's take Jeremiah Cooper, for example. He's technically a sophomore, uh, but... He is a guy who 
we know what he is. We know that he's good. We don't really have any, like Ben Bramer's another one. Yeah. I bet Bramer's a better example. I bet Bramer doesn't have, he's not taking a lot of reps in practice. He's doing a lot of individual, a lot of blocking work and making sure schematically he knows where he's going to be. But he's probably, we've seen enough from Ben Bramer that he doesn't need to take a lot of reps. So it's sort of dependent upon the person. And could they benefit? Is the risk of them turning an ankle two weeks before the actual game is the the benefit that they can gain from that practice does that exceed the risk and it feels like for some guys yes for some guys no um and if if there is some guys that are sort of on the fence like a uh black the the guard yeah yeah brandon black brandon black he he's probably a guy who's resting more than he's playing but there are certain situations where i'm sure they watch him on film and it's like hey against odd fronts you struggled so we're going to give you live reps against odd fronts and make sure that you get live good rep practice against that but once we get to memphis if they run an even front we're going to take you out it doesn't matter you're not going to scrimmage you don't need these reps so there's guys any continuum from rocco who ain't playing a damn thing live mm -hmm. and then there's guys like you know again abu sama who's going to take a ton of reps because he needs a ton of reps it's fascinating. When do you actually, as a team, start focusing on the opponent in these bowl practices? I think it's usually like after finals is sort of when, at least with roads that we sort of start introducing. And it's sort of like a slow introduction where it's not like you're diving. It's all Iowa State before finals. And then after finals, it's all Memphis. Where it, Interesting. Was, it was sort of you would have a walkthrough before practice that says, here's their defensive front. They're a three down team. They like to walk up. And this is number 17. If you see number 17, he's where the blitz side's coming from. Let's walk through some of their pressures. All right, we're going to cover this more tomorrow. And then we go practice Iowa State. And the next day you do a walkthrough and you do scout period, but then you're still scrimmaging against each other. And then after that, you kind of go full Memphis. And, and uh, Colin said it last week on FART that you know, you want to have that installed by the time you get there and then you polish it while you're at the bull site. So you're not doing install and having these big, long meetings trying to say, here's what their coverages are going to be if they're in these fronts. Because if you do that, then mm. you're taking away from where the bull experience is and kids are going to be distracted anyway. So you want to have it installed before you get to the bull site and then you want to practice it and polish it once you actually get there. So there doesn't have to be a ton of thought and you can just use the bull week as like, it's it's a celebration of the season. Do, you, do the players, when when you went to the bowl game and you get Tulsa, which is like a group of five school, when Iowa State gets Memphis, does, do the players, how much do they care about that? Because the fans are like, oh, it's a letdown. But I, I would make the argument that Abu Usama didn't play Memphis last time. Like, I mean, that was five years ago. Mm -hmm. Like, this is a nine and three football team that's capable of putting up a lot of points on you. I think it, it would be more fun when you get a, a higher name brand, yeah. you know, like, like Auburn was Auburn. one of the ones yeah, I thought that, they that, may get. That'd be kind of fun. Um, and so, like, initially, so <laughs> when we played against Liberty or played in the Liberty Bowl against Tulsa, that was a letdown because had we won against West Virginia in 2012, we yes. would have had a much higher bowl position. And I actually fumbled that game away. So that one, like the the feeling of of bowl release or the, the bowl release. That was release, a really cold game, right? Horrible. It was yeah. Horrible. And it was I like that game, we had just come off a heartbreaking loss. And then also I think Jacquez was hurt and Gage Schaefer was in at safety and, and Tavon Austin messed up not too. had a bum shoulder. And so Tavon Austin like housed a, a touch yeah. like a, a game winner I remember so you're that. coming off that, that that was the geno smith and, and wally. wally burnham yeah. moment yeah that was yeah. that so like classic that that Vintage. instance <laughs> but that instance it felt different because you're like man we could have had x 
had we won, we would yeah. have been in, you know, Phoenix or whatever. And now we're going to be in Memphis against or against Tulsa. So like the comparison was the problem, but I don't think this team has that comparison. They won their way up to where they're going to be. And there wasn't really another option of like, had we won X, Y, Z two months ago, then we could have changed this. I, so I think they're going to be happy with it is regardless of who it is. Yeah. I would make the argument that this is a really big game because of one, nobody really thought they would be here. Right. Mm -hmm. In in general, we had the whole gambling thing all off season, just a weird deal playing. You lose the Ohio game, right. And everything. replacing your whole entire offensive yeah. staff. Right. So yeah. it's, it's a big win, I think for everybody in that program, but two, it just feels eerily similar to 17. And we kind of said that even in the preseason before we'd even seen a snap that it, it felt like a building year, not a rebuilding year, but a building year for what was to come. Cause you knew how many young guys you were going to have to play. And, and again, like, I just think, so if they, if they lose to Memphis, does it mean they're going to suck next year? Absolutely not. But if you win this game, you really do have something to build on because it's the same guys. Like it, it, this isn't like, you know, and maybe even more so than the last Liberty bowl, because it was like, well, Lazard's leaving and, and Joel's done. Yeah. You yeah. know, like there was like an end of an era. This isn't, this is kind of just a, it's a, Sure, it's an exhibition game, but you're you playing with take, house money. Yeah. yeah, you can take a lot from it if you win the thing. Yeah, I think the the cool thing about it is that the more practice this team gets to be together. So one of the things that I really like about the offensive staff changes and the defensive staff has kind of always done this. You know, when they switched to that three four, it's because these this is the defense that our team has the pieces to to actually execute. And I I just I call this the square peg square hole problem, which is you can then take what does your offense do and we're going to just make an offense that does that. We're not going to try and make them be a, a Tennessee's offense. We're not going to be Josh Heupel and run everybody, you know, a foot from the sideline and have a quarterback chuck it 90 yards down the field. But we're also not going to try and be Navy and run a triple option. What does this offense do? Okay, Rocco makes quick reads. You got a lot of guys that are going to just be in the right spot. If you can get them playmakers like uh, Jalen Knoll or Bramer or the ball quickly, then we're going to be able to execute well. Our guys pull really well mm -hmm, blocking mm -hmm. scheme wise. So let's run more of that. So, okay, that's the offense that we want to do. And this team kind of got to create that towards the end of the season. They figured out what the offense wanted to be to be a square peg, square hole. You get four or five more weeks of that. And then coming into that off season, if you're able to execute that offense again, to, to ride this thing on a high note, you then can discover more of what you do well and then teach to that you can start installing this offense that works as opposed to trying to figure it out on the fly so offensively this is i think a bigger thing than the defense because defense it's blocking or you know it's tackle and fit but like the offense i think that's the big part is the confidence you can build and the more you can learn about what does this offense look like with abu like if sama can be this downhill just yeah. slasher home run hitter of a runner how can we build play action off of this? And How can we do things off this Carson offense? Carson into that too. Exactly. He's more of this patient, methodical type and he's guy. Way better blocker. Yeah. So he's the uh, you know he is the Jirel Brock to Abu's Brees. I we haven't got to talk much scheme this year. Um, one of the fun things for me is I've become much more of an NFL fan in the last ten years, and I and I know why. It's because of the offenses. There's just so much more of. You know, there's elements of air raid in pretty much every NFL offense that you watch now. And you're a sucker for air raid. I am. I'll do anything for air raid. Um, I've never watched an Iowa State team 
I've, I've always watched Iowa State teams and go, how did that guy get so wide open all the time when it comes to the opposition? You know, when you're playing Gundy, the Leach teams back in the day, all these great Riles teams, the Riley teams. Yeah, like that son of a gun is just open. How are their receivers? There's nobody within 10 yards of them all the time. And you watch it in the NFL right now, and we're watching all these quarterbacks that are hurt. And still... These really good offensive minds, Kevin O'Connell with the Minnesota Vikings is a great example. They're on their fourth quarterback right now. And I'm watching this game and this Nick Mullins and he's making these awful decisions and he's never played before. And like, you know, Josh Dobbs comes in, um, never, you know, he'd been with the system for like three days and these guys are wide open. Okay. And what does that tell me? Well, really good scheme, Mm -hmm. a really good game plan. These coaches, can, you can do this now in football at any level because of the way the rules are. It is very offensive-driven. For the first time covering Iowa State in my life, Iowa State was that team this year. It's like, God, nobody was within 10 yards of Noel right there. Mm-hmm. And then you have the players that can actually do something with it when they get it. We've had really good wide receivers at Iowa State before, but I don't remember Alan Lazard being that wide open. I don't remember Hakeem Butler being that wide open. And I just... Yeah, more, Hakeem Butler had to kill people. To get yeah, I mean, he's running past them, and you had to hit him in stride. And yeah, I guess my point is, I just I think Iowa State's out scheming most of these teams that they're playing, and it's super awesome to watch. Like, and, and I can't wait. I think they're going to put up a lot of points in this football game. The thing that I yeah, I think so too. And so when you thought like Memphis specifically, there it is a strength on strength and a quote weakness on weakness. But I don't. I think Iowa State's weakness is better than Memphis's. So strength being. Uh, Memphis is the seventh highest scoring team in college football, offensive strength, Iowa state. I don't know the ranking in defensive points allowed because it's a little skewed based on tempo and stuff like that, but they're pretty good on defense. Mm-hmm. And so you have Memphis offense versus Iowa state's defense that that's going to be kind of a heavyweight slugfest. I think I would still take the edge to John Haycock and being able to scheme away from that, but Memphis is going to score. They're good. Yeah. But Iowa state's offense versus Memphis's defense I think that that is going to be a much less fair fight than what I think the otherwise would be. But the thing with the scheme, football is both more and less complex than what people make it. It is less complex in the what you should do. It is more complex in the how you should do it. So the what you should do, if you have more guys on one side of the ball than they do, Mm -hmm. run it there. If you have better leverage, if you want to run left and all your guys are to the left of where the defensive is, great run that way if you don't don't like it's not that hard and the thing that guys like shanahan and uh the the head coach of the dolphins uh you know guys like that which all kind of come from the same tree but then the lincoln riley and the josh hypoles and and those guys they just do that common sense stuff mm-hmm. way more frequently than what people do herman was was good at that we just didn't i mean admittedly i wasn't i'm not abu sama mm. like we just didn't have the same no pieces you to, are not i am not same high school though Technically, I still have the rushing records because he missed like eight games in his senior uh-huh. year. There you go. Yep. My man. Yep. So uh, <laughs> had he played his whole year, he would have crushed every record in that I mean, receiving records, too. But anyway, uh, they just more consistently what Herman would do is run it till they stop it. If we think that that, uh, you know, Darius Reynolds is better than their corner. How do we position it? So we get a one on one. Do that. All right. That's not that's not that complicated. Our guy's mm-hmm. better than your guy. Let's go do that. So it feels like that type of ra- uh, radical common sense is what the, the, the NFL into college and the college into the NFL does with RPOs, with, uh, yeah. mo- with a lot of motions. A lot of stuff is, 
I want to throw it to number to Christian McCaffrey. How do I throw it to Christian McCaffrey with him having the least amount of obstruction into where he's throwing it? Okay, well, let's motion him 6,000 times because then you can't follow him. All right, well, it seems pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, again, it's radical common sense. I always feel like you football guys just overthink things too. Yeah, right? Everybody does. Yeah. It's not that hard. Because, I mean, I, I've seen it. Like they they sit in there in the in these rooms and you're analyzing the first step of a backup left tackle for two hours and it's like you can you can do that to yourself with anything in life the more you time you spend on it yeah there i will say the the how part is more complex than people give it credit for so like uh we are recording this somewhere in the week where so the uh the eagles and the seahawks played a monday night game and the first play of the seahawks offense they tried to run a toss and it got absolutely blown up Well, it's because DK Metcalf was supposed to come down on a crack block on the defensive end and his alignment was too wide and his first step was trash. Well, those two things, if it doesn't seem like being a foot too wide or your first step being 12 inches in the wrong spot, it doesn't seem like those things would cause a big problem, but they absolutely do. Mm. So what you need to do, like on paper, the, the what you should run, that was the right front to run that play against the person who executed it didn't follow the details they needed to to actually get that done so schematically football is simpler than people make it execution wise it takes a way more detail and the smallest mistake can cause a catastrophic failure so the how yeah is much more complex than people give it credit for the what people overthink all the time just hey we want to throw it to our best guy how do we get our best guy against their worst guy just do that a zillion times. That's what Lance Leipold does at Kansas. That's why they're he so does. good is where's our best defensive end? Well, or where's our where's our best wide receiver? Let's put him on their worst one. It's the epitome of Leach and, and Hal Mummy and all those guys. The quarterback made every decision. I mean, they only have like five plays mm-hmm. on those air raid. And, and it's backyard football. And, and they get to the point where... It's just the quarterback, and I actually think it may be difficult in 2023 to do this because there's not as much continuity with quarterbacks and wide receivers. But you remember when you were in the kid, you were a kid in the backyard, and maybe your your quarterback told you to, all right, go and run a curl, but you're like, I can beat this guy, and you kind of just motion to him like, no, I'm going deep now, and you do the curl and go. Uh-huh. That's that's it. Yeah. Like they, the receiver is tasked with. Finding the open space. You want to know a magic trick too? Why is Travis Kelsey the greatest tight end and greatest receiving tight end in NFL history? He just does that. Yeah. Like in any given play. They're just communicating. Him and Mahomes have such a good relationship too. That's it. So they let, can read each other. Let's say he's supposed to run a corner route. Well, if the, cor- the, the guy who's supposed to be covering him, a corner route meaning you're breaking <clears throat> to the sideline. Well, if the guy who's supposed to be covering him is outside leverage, you'd have to run through him to get to where that spot is. That's not a good place in the field. It's not going to be available. So he just turns it around, and instead of going to the sideline, he just sits in the middle of the field. Completely changes the route on the fly. Mm -hmm. And him and Mahomes just trust the fact that they're going to see the same thing at the same time. So every once in a while, you're going to get a play where it looks like Mahomes is throwing it to absolutely nowhere. Or Travis Kelsey is like like one foot away from another receiver. It's just because... They just backyard football it and saying that we're going to run this route. Here's what your base route's supposed to be. But based on where the coverage is going to be or how this guy screwed up the coverage that should be there, I'm just going to sit in a place that's open. And that, that exactly, it's making it easier. Yeah. The what is easier. 
the how is harder. I'm guessing, I don't know this for sure, Iowa State had elements of that with Noel this year, just the way he was able to find space in a bunch of different areas. Yeah, and just comfortably sit down. Where yeah. do you want to give Rocco? Put Give Rocco the 1-3. Your numbers, give him the biggest 1-3 that you possibly mm-hmm. can, and Rocco's going to put it somewhere on you. He's accurate enough, too, where this can work. You, That's the one key with the quarterback. They don't have to have joe burrow's arm but they have to be accurate well and this is a, another thing and it, it is it's why brock is so successful is it any offense functions best when the decisions you make are confident and correct if you can make confident correct decisions it's going to look boring like it's mm-hmm. going to look like you're not doing anything yeah. in the same way that like really good wrestlers they win matches like david carr he wins so many wrestling matches like 13 to three or whatever, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because he just, no one can score on him because he's just fundamentally sound. So it's kind of boring to watch. uh, Boring is good. Boring is good where you win the game or you win the match six to one because there's nothing that really happens. That's what good offense should be is it doesn't look like there's much happening. You're like, they have 42 points. How that's what it should be. Congratulations on the baby girl. Thank you. She's adorable. I'm sure she is. Hopefully she looks like her. She has to look like her mom. then. Uh, yeah, mostly. She's got my, <laughs> she's got my nose and that's about it. Appreciate you, my man. We'll be back here on the Liberty Bowl preview show here on Psycho and Fanatic. Brent Bloom's going to join me next here and we'll break down. We'll look more at this Memphis team, more of this individual matchup for the Cyclones. Hey, Cyclone Fanatics. It's Chris Williams here and happy holidays. Listen, every year I get people asking me, how can I gift a Cyclone Fanatic subscription? Well, technically, there's not a way to do it, but today I'm going to show you a workaround. And I promise you, this is a great gift for that Cyclone fan in your life who just can't get enough of the clones. They're obsessed with the clones. They want to know the inside scoop. That's what we provide each and every day via our Patreon page with Cyclone Fanatic. I'm going to show you an easy way to give one of these things as a gift. The first thing you need to do is head to patreon.com slash cyclonefanatic. If you're already a patron, make sure to sign out of your account first. And then you need to decide on which tier to purchase. You need to create a new Patreon account for the recipient to use as a patron. There you can enter their name, email, and password for that person you would like to gift the subscription to. Make sure and write down the login information so that you can pass this along. Patreon will send a confirmation for you to enter. If you're trying to surprise somebody, or if you're unsure of what email to use, you can always create a new email address to be used specifically for this Patreon account to share as well. Enter their country, state, and zip code along with the payment information. Give a gift certificate that you can find at the link below. Log into Patreon and change the email address for the recipient's email. Just delete your credit card from the account whenever you would like them to begin paying. That's it. It's really not that hard. I promise you, whoever the Cyclone fan is in your life is going to absolutely love this Cyclone Fanatic subscription for the holidays. We appreciate it because we are a 100% locally owned company. Everything that you give via your Patreon subscription, it goes back into us creating awesome content for Cyclone fans, not only all over the state of Iowa, but across the world. Thanks so much and happy holidays. All right, we thank Jeff Woody for bringing us that. We focused a lot on Iowa State in that first segment of our Liberty Bowl preview show here on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. Of course, we are presented by our amazing sponsors, Fairway, Meat and Grocery, Carl Auto Group, Keen 
Construction, and of course our friends over at Wild Rose Casino in Jefferson, Emmitsburg, and Clinton. I want to bring in Brent Bloom to do a little bit more on Memphis as we lead up into um, what I what I think Brent is a really nice bowl game for Iowa State, and and you're talking to a guy who probably is as critical of the Bulls as as, as anybody. That's me. I'll raise my hand. But with with what it represents for this Iowa State team, I think it really matters. And I would make the same case for Memphis, too. I know it's not the sexiest opponent, but as we look at this Memphis team, they've got a few guys out, but most of their team is back from, from the year. And they went 9-3, and three, a really good offensive football team, and they're looking to build on beating a power five opponent in their home stadium. Big game for them. Well, exactly. I mean, I think you you look at it from their side and they do not get the chance to play power five opponents in their home stadium very often. They've had a traditional series with Mississippi. Um, that has been very entertaining over the last 15 years. But for them, C-Dub, I know you're a big realignment guy, but you start talking about the next wave of, of yeah. realignment and adding schools and you, you better believe Memphis wants in that conversation. So how do you prove your value here is number one, you sell out your stadium for the bowl game, which it sounds like Memphis is going to be very well represented. So Iowa state fans better show out as well. But then secondly, you need to be competitive in football and you know, that basketball program, if Penny's still around, they'll be competitive, but football, you're still not sure they win nine games this year, but for them, a statement win would be big. They just, even through the great years they've had under Norvell and on the current, uh, current staff, they just haven't really had a, a bunch of marquee wins. Well, this would be one of them. I, mean, I think at Iowa State, you can kind of get caught up in, of, oh, what about Iowa State? It's like, well, look from the other side. Mem- this is a great opportunity for Memphis at home in front of its people to beat a Big 12 team that won seven games this year. Yeah, and the the crowd part's interesting. I actually think that Memphis will have a substantial crowd advantage in this one. I, I mean, they I should. It's in their hometown, but the like the difference in this one and 2017 though is Iowa State fans were just so hungry for any type of success. Not that they're not still. I just don't think you're going to see that split down the middle crowd. Do you? No, I mean last I heard, Iowa State was ticket sales were going fine, but it's not anywhere near 2017. So, uh, so that means two things. Yes, I believe Memphis will have the. It's not going to be, you know, like a road game. This will be closer to 60, 40, 70, 30, I would guess. Secondly, that yeah. means more more beer available on Beale Street, though. So that's that's a good thing. Um, yeah, I'm just looking, see, I'm looking at the bowl situation for Memphis. And since it played Iowa State in 17, lost to Wake Forest, lost to Penn State, uh, beat Florida Atlantic, beat Utah State. So even in Memphis's climb here, uh, they have not defeated a a power five team in a bowl game. So this is a big deal for them. And uh, I, I think their their fans are gonna be ready, ready to go and charged up. And you know, from what I understand, uh the, the excitement down there is hey, Iowa State, you know, almost traveled, we almost had more fans than we did for our game and almost embarrassed them on Beale Street for that parade. So I think you'll see Mem- not that it's gonna be adversarial, but I think Memphis will be really, really well represented. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, shout out to Fairway Meat and Grocery. Uh, remember them over all of your holidays. Uh, New Year's coming up. Of course, for your uh, 
something we're gonna have nice weather throw something out on the smoker from our friends at the fairway meat market hey i got, and, I, got a, I got a quick announcement on the fairway front you ready for this what's that this yeah is, yeah this is, this is somewhat somewhat new news to be to be heard of more we now are selling we will frozen pizzas at the south fairway in ankeny portion portion of the sales it's hard to miss a big we will label on it so look for that's that pretty frozen, cool frozen i knew this section. was coming yeah, it's that, first our trial run is at the South Fairway, the South Ankeny Fairway. Um, so appreciate the people at Fairway. Hope to be in more stores here soon. I'll keep you posted. That's that's pretty awesome. All right, frozen yeah. pizza game. That's Look at right. This. That's right. All we have to do is drink a ton of beer and eat frozen pizza, and, and Bloom can do his job. <laughs> exactly. It's fantastic. Get some post players in the portal. Uh, also, our friends at Carl Auto Group for sponsoring us as well. What? What scares you? Well, real quick, the profile on Memphis for those who haven't watched him much. Elite offensive team can throw the ball around. Uh, not elite defensive team. They are not good against the run. Um, I also think it's important to note they have a couple of offensive linemen out in this game. I and you know me, Brent. I'm like probably the least confident guy you'll ever find when it comes to this stuff. I'm really confident in Iowa State in this game. Does anything scare you? What am I missing? Yeah, I mean, just the the offensive firepower that Memphis has. You know, and I think if it's, you know, if it's a race to 30 points, I think Memphis has the firepower to get there, even even on Iowa State's defense. And the closer we get to this game, it, it's more and more likely that TJ Tampa will not play, I would say. So they've got guys. I mean, Joe Skates, we know well, uh, the legends of Joe Skates at Iowa State. He's one of the receivers. Yep. He's not their main guy, but uh, they've got skill guys. And so if this thing gets up into the mid-30s, I think Iowa State can score. Uh, you saw it against K-State, but that was a weird game. You saw it against BYU. BYU was kind of in an odd spot at that point. Can Iowa State's offense get up to the 30s and 40s? I think that part will be interesting, and that's what would scare me. If this gets a really high-scoring game, uh, Memphis has some real firepower here. I would like to know more about their offensive line depth. And th- this is part of the problem too, with like just general media anymore. I always learn this when I'm trying, when I, when we did play by play for the women, and it's just hard to get information on teams yeah. now. Cause there's just not that many people on the beat on a daily basis. It's hard to learn a lot about this Memphis team. I'm coming to, to know, what what interests me about their offense is it seems very very strong systematically scheme wise feels like they're really good i mean this is a holdover from mike norvell yep, so it's not field. like they're yep. right really good at what they do the losing two linemen feels like a bigger deal than just what i know about iowa state's defense is if you can get pressure with three, boy, it changes everything. And if there's backups in there, Dom Orange coming off of a month rest, like I'm, I'm, I feel like this leans Iowa State. And I think that's where the game is won or lost is because honestly, what was Iowa State's concern for most of the year defensively was the lack of pressure. Pressure, yeah. And it's 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 harder it, with three when you're rushing three. It just that's just the case. Uh, it's easier to block three than four. So we'll see what Iowa State tries to do. Because if they give Hennigan time, who's the quarterback for Memphis, I mean, Hennigan threw for 3,500 yards this year, super productive. They threw for over 300 yards per game. Yes, it was in its conference, not quite the same as the Big 12, 
but you throw for 300 yards per game. Um, generally, generally the adage is it's easier to find pass blockers as backups than run blockers. So if they can hold up just well enough, I think their skill guys are good enough to, to match up with Iowa state secondary. Who's really good. Um, but if Iowa state can get pressure and make cause chaos for that backup offensive line, then good luck throwing. So I think that's where the game is won or lost. I don't see a, a world where Memphis is going to run for 175 plus in this game. I think they're going to have to throw it. And if Iowa State can get pressure, you can cause havoc, create some turnovers. And I think this could be an Iowa State win by double digits. The other aspect of this is just Memphis not being a great run-stopping team. No. And, you know, I there, there's two aspects of Iowa State where I, I was fairly critical of them early in the year for doing the whole square peg round hole thing when it came to running the football, but then we really did see at the end of the year where that offensive line was not only competent, but dominated against Kansas state. Now there, that was a weird game, right. With all the snow and and everything. But I think that group is a totally different one than we saw at the beginning of the year. And boy, it just, if we've seen it now, the BYU game, which is a team with a similar profile, I think of, of Memphis, we saw it in the Kansas State game where if Iowa State can run the ball and they can get downhill, then all of a sudden, you know, those those receivers, and st- they're just wide open uh, because I, I think Shieldhouse has drawn up some phenomenal plays down the stretch here. What a... What are the chances we see Abu Sama with 150 yards in this? One? I, th- I think that's that's what I would say it's going to lean on right away. And you, you don't you don't stray. You know, Rocco can can sling it. We know that. Um, another game, Chris, I think sets up like this one is the Baylor game um, down in Waco. Now that had some rain, yeah. but Memphis's profile is pretty similar defensively to what Baylor brought to the table. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think you you try you get Sama going. I mean, clearly. That's if you can run it, you don't stray from it, and you just keep the ball away from Memphis, honestly. And I, I know Iowa State's going to try and do that early, and we'll see. The, the games Iowa State has struggled offensively, though, is when the ground game does not get established. And, you know, like the Texas game, Iowa State felt like it labored a little bit. Kansas was not a great run defense. Iowa State struggled that first half. So I don't think we're at the point with the Cyclones, and I think I hope we get there next year where you can just – you know, plan on 200 yards rushing. Like, well, we'll see, you'll still have to see it. I mean, Brendan Black's gotten better. Um, yeah. You've seen some of these guys really grow, but it's not like this is the Michigan offensive line either. So I think, I think Iowa State's got to obviously try to run it first. If it can run, I think it's a big day for Abu and a big day for the Iowa State offense because then you get the play action going and look out. If you can't run, though, that's where it gets super interesting. That elongates the game, potentially means more points on the board. And then if you get into a skill game with Memphis, that's where they're really good. Um, so I think that's that's the side of Iowa State's end, is you want to run it. If you can't, I think we could see a game go down to the wire. Yeah. I, I think it all I think it all makes a lot of and sense. Then, I, and then I, also, I, I, I would ahead. say that the other two key players for Iowa State, uh Higgins and Bramer. Because you Bramer's the, that guy. Yeah. yeah, you look at the Memphis Memphis defense. Not a lot of size on the back end, and and I, man, if you get if you can get Bramer going, I mean, Steve O'Klotz had a great year too. I mean, the, yeah. the Iowa State tight end room does not get talked about enough how much it has changed 
how Iowa State can attack um, because those guys not only can make plays via the air, but Steve O'Klotz and Ben Bramer and Easton Dean turned into really good blockers by the end of the year too. And so that could present a big problem for Memphis's really light secondary and, and, and linebackers. We're all going to be down there looking forward to it. Uh, we sold out our Jerry the King Lawler party in like <laughs> 20 hours. Uh, our, our premium subscribers ate that thing up. We can't wait. I uh, talk me off of it. I like Iowa State by double digits in this game. I, I and again, like I, I always look for the negative. Like, which matchup do I hate here? I really like the way this sets up for the Cyclones, and I'm a guy too who told you when I first looked at this matchup, I said I'd take the points. I think Memphis plays a game here. The two offensive linemen being out really bother me. I think that's a bigger loss than even Tampa, knowing what Iowa State can put in there behind him. They're pretty good at that spot. One guy out. Brent, I just think this game really matters to Iowa State. Yeah, I think it's a highly, highly motivated team. I think they're looking at next year thinking – we can win a big 12 championship potentially. And this is a stepping stone to that. Yeah. And I'll say this would be the exclamation point on has what, what has been a really awesome month of December for the future of Iowa state football. So, I mean, I think that's the way you look at it is Iowa state is, is ready to go literally see dub. I think again, who knows what can change. There's still another portal in April, but Iowa state kept pretty much, every single person it wanted to keep, which is a testament to the staff, uh, a testament to the culture in that program. And I think this is the game. This is a culture game, too. It's like, who wants to be there? I think Iowa State does. I totally agree. I don't love playing Memphis and Memphis. I don't think the staff loves that you have to play Memphis and Memphis again. But this staff and team has really thrived on uh, when you start to question them is when they're really good. And, you know, I think with Rocco leading the way and all the guys coming back, this this is game one of the 2024 season. That's that's really just more of an exhibition at the end of the day, but not emotionally. Because if you go into next season with eight wins after winning another de facto road game, then you start getting attention as potentially a, a Big 12 contender next year and thus a playoff contender. Let's do it. We'll see you in Memphis, buddy. I'll be there. It looks like the weather's going to hold out as well, so that's great. So if you're if you're still on the fence, drive down and come, come down. Soon, have, make yeah. a weekend of it. Get Let's yourself it. a hotel and yeah. come on down and join us. Plenty of beer available, everybody. Are you getting any Ames Lager down there? Did you figure that out? Uh, not officially. I know it's kind of illegal. Not officially, but there will be some that people will be able to Just find. Floating sure. around. Yes. Okay. Yes. If you go around the tailgate lots, I'll send me a message. We'll find you. <laughs> he is brent bloom uh i really want to thank jeff woody for joining me aiden wyatt and matt van winkle had their hands all over uh production with this thing we appreciate it uh and again it, it's um it's interesting brent i was thinking about this earlier in the week about when when we used to do the bowl game thing and you would do like the instant reaction with the statistical breakdown and now, you know, we're a few days away from the game, and I don't really know anything about the opponent other than, right? Like, it's just the whole thing is just so backwards as to what it used to be. But I'm very thankful that we can go down there, at least from an Iowa State standpoint, and know that all this really matters, which is what more could you ask for in 2023? No, no doubt. I mean, there for for a, a December that can be filled with drama, Iowa State hasn't had much yes. drama, and you can you can focus on the football game, and that's exactly where you want to be. 
uh, the week of the game and excited to see the guys. And I think the great part for the fans is obviously it has some rising superstars on this team. So uh, you get a 13th chance to watch this team. You feel for the seniors uh, last time, a lot of them will play in a cyclone uniform. So you hope for guys like, like Gary Vaughn and, and those guys that they come out and have a, have a huge game and uh, you know, maybe Easton Dean can do something, but a last chance to see some of those guys, but also again, the momentum for Iowa City football is real. So let's keep it up. Hope to see everybody in Memphis, and uh, we'll have a great old time there on Beale Street. He's Brent Bloom. My name is Chris Williams. For Jeff Woody, Aiden Wyatt, and Matt Van Winkle, thank you for watching our Liberty Bowl preview show here on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network, YouTube, wherever you took this thing in. We appreciate our great sponsors, Fairway Meat and Grocery, Carl Auto Group, Wild Rose Casino, and Keen Project Solutions. We'll be back uh, later this week with more coverage from Memphis.